You're listening to the Life Tree Community Church Podcast, recorded on Sundays in Robbinsville, New Jersey. Our goal is to help you grow from root to fruit. Thanks for tuning in. We're so glad you're here. I want to invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 27 as we're going to continue our series on the tabernacle. And I began it last week, a series called God is Here talking about the fact that God shows up and God wants to live among us. And uh, in, in Exodus chapter uh, 25, verse 8, we read this one, one verse, which is kind of the, uh, the central verse for our series. It says, God says, have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. Right? So God says, hey, listen, I want to live among people, like family, right? I want to live in the middle of this. I don't just want to live like outside, separate, somewhere far off. I want to be among you. I want to live near you. The tabernacle was God's way of being in the center of everyday life. Remember in creation, he wanted to walk in the garden with everybody. Sin messed that up. You know, people got in the way. So then God says, all right, I want to create a new place where we can have relationships. So he creates a tabernacle. And it reestablished a way for God to live among us. So the goal of this series, really, the tabernacle is one of those things we study in the Old Testament and it can get really odd and obscure, and you're like, really, what's the deal? Why all the measurements? Why all this stuff? Does it really make a difference in our lives today? And uh, my goal is not only understand what the tabernacle means, but I really think it will help us understand this one thing, really. It's this. I don't think we understand how good we have it. And that's what I want to show, sort of this contrast uh, last week we talked about the outer courts. We talked about the tabernacle. Remember, it's a big rectangle. We looked at the outer courts. That's sort of this, there's three rooms. There's the outer courts, there's the holy place, and then there's the most holy place. Right? And so there's three different rooms. The outer courts was open to everybody. Everybody in, the, in, in Israel could come in. They could, they could come into that, that place, and they would, um, in that outer court were two things. There was an altar, and there was called a, a laver, like a wash basin. Right. And that outer courts had a gate that led into it. And last week we talked about how Jesus said, I am the gate. He says, and enter my gates with thanksgiving, you know, enter my courts with praise. And that's what Nikki read. Psalm 100. We learned last week that you will never be more home. We're searching for home. Always trying to find a home, trying to make a place a home. Home is not a building. We are homeless. We just rent this building. We don't even own this. But home is not a building. Wherever the presence of God is, that's home. You've never been more home than you are when you're in God's presence because that's where you belong. That's where you're accepted. Right? And so we talked about the outer courts. And as you pass the outer courts, as you're in that room now, you would come into this, you'd come to an altar. Right? It was a simple little altar. And uh, we're going to, it's described in detail in Exodus chapter 27. Pick it up in verse 1. It'll be on the screen as well if you'd like to read along. It says this, using acacia wood, Construct a square altar, seven and a half feet wide, seven and a half feet long, and four and a half feet high. Everybody excited yet? Does this sound good, right? This is thrilling. I know. You're like, I didn't, I didn't sign up to go to school. I'm sorry. It said, make horns for each of its four corners so that the horns and altar are all one piece. And then overlay the altar with bronze. Okay? Make ash buckets, shovels, basins, meat forks, and fire pans all of bronze. Sounds, uh, sounds good. All right, we're getting better. Make a bronze grating for it right, on top and attach four bronze rings at its four corners. Install the grating halfway down the side of the altar. All right. And uh, install the grating halfway down the side under the ledge. 
keeps going. For carrying the altar, make poles from acacia wood, overlay them with bronze as well. Insert the poles through the rings of the two sides of the altar. The altar must be hollow, made from planks, build it just as you were shown on the mountain. It's very specific. So essentially God said, build a barbecue. Right? That's what he said. So that's what this is. Right? It's, that's, so there, now you get a visual. A square. It's got a grating on top. Four kind of horn looking things. Poles with rings. So they could carry it so they wouldn't actually touch it. He actually gave them pretty specific dis- descriptions. And this is what it was. It had been made of wood, overlaid with bronze. And, uh, but this was, a, this was for a little bit more than just making like burgers. Right? And some of you might have had some might grill, you know, if you're a vegetarian. I'm sorry. Um, but this was a barbecue. Right, so that's what it was. It would, it would just, it would be, they would burn inside it. But it was for much more than just a, um, just making cookouts and things. In Exodus chapter 40, we read this. It says, "Take anointing oil, and anoint the tabernacle and all its furnishings to consecrate them." They said, "Take oil, put it all over all the pieces." The next one, he said, next verse says, "Anoint the altar of burnt offering, which is what we just saw, and its utensils to consecrate them. Then the altar will become absolutely." Holy. See, this wasn't just a, a barbecue, right? This was a sacred place. Many times you'll read about deposed kings who would run into the tabernacle and it said grab onto the horns of the altar as sort of a last ditch effort to save themselves. Like that there was some, some sort of magical hope that would come here. But that altar wasn't just a, a random wooden barbecue. It was a sacred place, right? It's sort of like base. In a high-stakes game of tag, you know, you run and you're, I'm on base, I'm on base, I'm holding on to base. Well, they would think that that altar would be base. They would kind of run and hold on to it and hope that they would be saved. On that altar is where priests would sacrifice whatever the people would bring to them. I warn you, what you're about to hear is not pretty. Okay, but we will do it quickly and I will move through it. But Leviticus chapter 1, again, up here it says this, The Lord called to Moses from the tabernacle and said to him, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you present an animal, and there's a point to this, I promise. You're like, why are we reading all this? There's a point. When you present an animal as an offering to the Lord, you may take it from your herd of cattle or your flock of sheep and goats. If the animal you present as a burnt offering is from the herd, it must be a male with no defects. Present it, bring it to the entrance of the tabernacle so you may be accepted by the Lord. has to be, right, perfect. No defects. Lay your hand on the animal's head and the Lord will accept its death in your place to purify you, making you right with him. That's a big deal. That's why they sacrificed animals, right? Because God would accept that death to make up and atone for the sin of the person, right? Verse 5 says, Then slaughter the young bull in the Lord's presence. And Aaron's sons, the priests, will present the animal's blood by splattering it against all the sides of the altar that stands at the entrance of the tabernacle. You do not want to see this, like, actually played out. Like, Spielberg can leave it alone. Then skin the animal and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron, the priest, will build a wood fire on the altar. They will arrange the pieces on the altar, including the head and the fat, and on the wood burning on the altar. But, But the internal organs... And the legs must first be washed with water. Then the priests will burn the entire sacrifice on the altar as a burnt offering. It's a special gift, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. I get the pleasing aroma thing. I've smelled barbecue. It smells great, right? But other than that, like that's a pretty, I don't want to have anything to do with it. I don't hunt. I don't even like to fish. 
They don't mess with me. I don't mess with them. Leave the animals alone. I don't need to be touching their guts or anything else like that. You could also bring birds, and it gives you all sorts of things about birds. I mean, listen, you really want to keep reading? Continue to read in Leviticus if you like gruesome details. It's going to get graphic. Right, with birds, what you do, you could bring grain, you could bring all these different types of offerings. And as you read the offerings, you begin to see a pattern. The pattern looks like this. Um, whatever you bring needs to be the best. It needs to be perfect, without defect. Not just, you know, animals that are okay. You know, this one's pretty good. It's next kind of a little, you know. No, you have to bring the best of the best. There's a very specific manner in which these need to be sacrificed. And if you messed it up, there were serious consequences. You had to present it in a certain way, right? So, you know when you would bring an offering? Guess, guess when they had to bring an offering? They only had to bring an offering whenever they broke one of the 600 Jewish laws. That was it. Anytime they broke one of the 600 Jewish laws, they just had to... So this is what God actually says, Leviticus chapter 4. Again, it should be on the screen. If the entire Israelite community sins by violating one, one of the Lord's commands, but the people don't realize it, they are still guilty. Hard stop right here. If you break one and didn't even mean to, you still have to bring a sacrifice. Oh, man. I didn't even mean to. If anybody out of the entire country, one of them, breaks one of those little laws, and you didn't even mean to, you're still guilty. Verse 14, when they become aware, when somehow you realize what you've done, you must bring a young bull as an offering for their sin and present it before the tabernacle. The elders of the community must then lay their hands on the bull's head and slaughter before the Lord. I'm not going to go back into all. They go back into the whole description. We're not doing it. Skip down to verse 21. He says, this offering is for the sin of the entire congregation of Israel. So every time you break a law or even realize maybe after the fact that you did, or if anyone else points out later that you did, then you need to bring a sacrifice. Think about the kind of culture and environment that would breed. Constant attention to the tiniest law. Anytime you do something even small, you've got to bring a sacrifice. You're, you're off. You're, there's, a, you're right, there's something out of whack and you've got you've to come make atonement for it. You know, ah, you didn't wash your hands right. Right? Sacrifice, you didn't honor your mother right. Sacrifice, you get annoyed at your neighbor and said something you shouldn't have. Sacrifice, and not only are you constantly aware of yourself, but there are plenty of others that are happy to help you stay right with the law. Anybody understand where I'm going with this? Right? They actually had a Facebook page called Around Israel. And they would post things like, to the woman... Right, who cut in the water line this morning at the well? You know, God knows. And sacrifice, hashtag, bring a sacrifice. Right? So, you know, are we now letting sheep graze in each other's pastures? I'm going to tag Moses, the administrator. Can you comment on this? Um, I didn't realize Sabbath started 15 minutes after sundown this week, you know, Benjamin. Right? Like, just sort of get. Because not only are you aware, everybody else is aware, and they're keeping score. Think about that kind of environment. I mean, there must, there must have been a lot of sacrifices. I mean, a lot of sacrifices. We're talking like a million people, 600 laws, and every time they broke one, sacrifice. 
sacrifice. And I know there was a lot of sacrifices because God instructed Moses in chapter 6 of Leviticus. He said, meanwhile, the fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must never go out. Each morning, the priest will add fresh wood to the fire and arrange the burnt offering on it. He will then burn the fat of the peace offerings on it. Remember, the fire must be kept burning on the altar at all times. It must never go out. It gives new meaning to the phrase, we'll leave a light on for you. We're going to leave it on for you. 24-7 sacrifices here. Right? Just keep them coming. Think about it. The fire never goes out. It never went out. It's sobering. The fire never goes out. Because there's always sacrifices. Because there's always more sin that needs to be sacrificed for. It never ends. It never ends. Think about it. Constantly. Constantly. The smell. Which sounds good to God, right? It smells great to smell like barbecue. But I think I after if I smell barbecue 24-7, I'd get a little tired of that smell too. Over and over and over. Keep the fire burning because there's just a line. There's a line of people waiting to bring a sacrifice. Because everybody. But it got the job done. It got the job done. We skip down to Leviticus chapter 9. It says, Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle and when they came back out, They blessed the people again, and the glory of the Lord appeared to the whole community. It says, fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When the people saw this, they shouted with joy and fell face down on the ground. See, God accepted their sacrifices. It worked. It got the job done. It was a lot. It never ended, but it worked. It was sufficient. God says, I will accept that sacrifice for today. For today. But the next day, oh, hey, keep that fire burning. Keep the fire burning. In addition to all the laws that define what sins required, what sacrifices, there were rules about priests. Because the people didn't actually make the sacrifice. They would just bring it to the priests. And the priests had to sacrifice in a certain way. There was a certain, uh, so many rules about what they had to do. There were only certain kinds of animals that were acceptable. And listen, not everybody could enter to even offer a sacrifice. Only those who were ceremonially clean could come bring their sacrifice to the priests. You couldn't even walk in the tabernacle if you weren't ceremonially clean. There was all sorts of things that disqualified you from being ceremonially clean. Right? There were things like skin diseases or touching a dead person or a dead animal or moldy houses or, you know, monthly cycles for women, anything like that. Touching anybody who else who was unclean. It was like a monster game of cooties. If somebody's unclean and touches you, you're now unclean for so many days or until this and you have to go do this to wash and to, to get back to even so that you can come bring your sacrifice to the tabernacle to get yourself back. You know, you're constantly working at a deficit. So if you were unclean, your sins just sat there in a pile getting unatoned for, building up. Let me tell you, that altar was busy and it was costly. Costly. Lots of blood spilled there over and over and over again. How do you think the people felt about that altar? You know what that was? It was a necessary evil. It, it was the only way we could be right with God, but let me tell you. Psalm 38, King David laments the burden of sin. He says, my whole body is sick. 
My health is broken because of my sins. My guilt overwhelms me. My burden is too great to bear. There was such a burden of guilt and high expectation and holiness, it was impossible. It's hard for us to imagine, really. It's hard for us today to put ourselves in that setting, to really kind of think about what that felt like for them. But think about this. What if in addition to the cost of continually being stuck in this cycle of sacrifice, right? If you're continually bringing sacrifices, think about this. What impact might it have on you when you realize that you literally have to kill an innocent animal every time you mess up? But you bring your dog. Every time that you mess up, you take an innocent animal and you kill it because you messed up. I don't know if we think about that part. In addition to the pain, now you bear the guilt of taking an innocent life to make up for your mistakes. And keep that fire burning. So day after day, you continue to kill innocent animals because you messed up. Does that feel good? Guilt upon shame, upon defeat, can never find your way out of this. We're told exactly how overwhelming that burden was. Hebrews chapter 10 says, The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again and again and again and again, year after year after year after year, and they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship if they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped. The worshipers would have been purified once for all time and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year because it's not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Every sacrifice is another reminder of failure. So they again sacrifice another innocent life on that altar. It's a crystal clear reminder of their burden. You are apart from God. And it's costly. And it's costly. It's a crushing burden. There's no hope of it ever changing. Except Jesus. This is where the message gets better. Come on. Except Jesus, verse 5 of Hebrews, continues and says, that is why, that's why, because of all that pain and all that brokenness, that's why when Christ came into the world, he said, you didn't want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you've given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Then I said, look, I have come to do your will, O God, as is written about me in the Scriptures. First Christ, he said, look, You did not want animal sacrifices or other offerings. You were not pleased with them, though they were required by the law of Moses. Then he said, look, I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. Here we go. He says, for God's will for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Christ. How much? Once. How many times? Once. Once for all time. Under the old covenant, 
The priest stands and ministers before that altar day after day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again and again, which can never take away sins. But, oh, I love that word, but our high priest, but Jesus offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. And then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering he made perfect those who are being made holy. And he says, I will never again remember their sins and their lawless deeds. Verse 18, when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. See why Jesus made such a difference. The tabernacle tells us that a relationship with God demands perfection. That's what the tabernacle reveals to us. That's what the altar reveals to us. That a relationship with God demands full purity. It demands no sin in my life. I have to constantly come and make right for it. They had to bring a continual sacrifice to that altar. But Jesus, but Jesus became the perfect sacrifice. Once for all time. Romans says everybody has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed His love. Here's the deal. The innocent one. The one who never did anything wrong. The innocent one sacrificed For us, the guilty parties. For my sin, which I owed, he stepped up and said, I will pay this one. See, making up for sin costs somebody. It's always life. See, sin always costs life. And Jesus said, I will give my life. See, if we take that sacrifice of Jesus for granted... If we don't realize how good we have it, if we're like, yeah, hey, thanks, Jesus, whatever. It's called cheap grace. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said cheap grace. says you, you just don't realize how good you have it. God loves us so much that he literally walked up to that altar and he laid his son on it. And said, this one's for you. No more. Enough. The burden of constant sacrifice is no longer How many are thankful today that we no longer have to bring constant sacrifice? No longer do you have to offer sacrifices every single day, every time you mess up. Jesus has fulfilled the purpose of that altar. He makes us right in God's sight. See, religion attempts to put people back under the old system. Say, you've got to earn your way back. You've got to make yourself right. Anybody that tells you that you've got to work your way back into God's good graces is telling you to start making sacrifices again. They're trying to put you back under the old law. Hey, earn your way back in. Guess what? You will never dig your way out. Grace has now come. Jesus says, you don't owe any more. See, that's what, that's what love does. It pays your debt. 
It ends your suffering. It relieves the pressure to keep making it right. You don't owe a thing. You're in here today and you're going, you don't know how many sins I've... Yes, I do. And I might not even know all of them. Jesus knew. He says, while we were still sinners, He died for us. He knew what you were going to do. He knew how bad you'd blow it. And He laid Himself down on the altar anyway. That's what love does. I'm going to lay my life down so that you never carry the burden of sacrifice ever again. Ever again. You don't owe a thing. See, God so wanted a relationship with us, yet He could not compromise on His need for holiness. He couldn't just wipe it away. It demanded life. The altar was a temporary solution. Animals, right, goats and bulls, it'll work for a little while, but it's just a burden on the people. It's not good enough. It was crushing, so God says, how about I become your sacrifice? So what? So what? What are we going to do with that information? Hebrews chapter 13 says, therefore, verse 15, therefore, let us offer a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. Since we no longer owe anything, here's the deal, we no longer have to sacrifice, now we get to. You don't have to offer anything anymore. Now we just get to offer a sacrifice of praise. Bring a continual sacrifice of praise. Continual. Just like the sacrifices, keep that fire burning. Let me tell you, keep your fire burning. Keep the fire burning inside your heart. A continual sacrifice. It costs you something. A continual sacrifice of praise. Praise is giving God glory for who He is, for how good He is, for how awesome He is, for everything He deserves. It's a declaration of worth. So what does that look like? Listen, it's easy to continually praise God, to think about all the things that make us feel good, to praise God for everything that's going well. We can sit there and do that all day long. God, I thank You for the good things in my life. That's easy. You're probably already doing that to some extent. But that's just a continual praise. The continual sacrifice of praise is something different. There's something about that qualifying word. What does it mean to bring a sacrifice of praise? It's got to cost you something that's different. So here's my challenge for you. In your programs, you should have a little, little card. It says, my sacrifice of praise. My sacrifice of praise. And here's my challenge to you. If you want to take this and apply it this week, if you just want to walk out of here and be like, yeah, it was a nice little message, but I'm moving on with my life and not thinking about it again, you can do that. You don't have to do anything. But if you would like to actually begin to offer a sacrifice of praise, I'm going to challenge you. Think of one thing in your life right now that doesn't feel good. Pick a hard place. Maybe it's a job, a relationship. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's a circumstance, something that you are really struggling with. Something that, if I just said, what's the most painful part of your life right now? You could put your finger on it. What is that one thing? This week, I challenge you to praise God for that. Because it's going to cost you. But it's a sacrifice of praise. You don't have to, but you get to. Because of what He's done for us, we don't have to offer sacrifice anymore. Now we just get to bring a sacrifice of praise to God. So, it might look like, God, how do I praise you for the job that makes me nuts? How do I praise you for that person I can't stand? How do I praise you for my health challenge? It's not about seeing silver linings. Let's clarify. 
saying, God, regardless of what I feel or what I think or what I want to say, I choose to praise you anyway because you're worth it. God, in my pain, I choose to remember you sacrificed for me so I don't have to. Today, I get to praise you and I will offer sacrificial praise. This job is awful, but I praise you for giving me a mind that works and the ability to think for myself. I praise you for what you've given to me. This person is difficult. Maybe they're perpetually out to get me. But God, I praise you that you never give up on me, no matter how hard-headed, no matter how stubborn, no matter how difficult I can be. You've never given up on me. God, I praise you. Maybe getting tired of waiting. God, I praise you that you are always right on time. Find something. So on that card, my challenge to you is write one thing. That's for you. Keep it only between you and God. What's one thing that you will sacrificially praise God for this week? Not because you have to, because of what he's done. And we offer it best when we realize what it costs to make that change from a have to to a get to. See, when we offer a continual sacrifice of praise, remember this tabernacle, you begin to walk through it. There's a progression here. You go from the outer courts to the holy place, to the most holy place. Right? You go from the outer courts to the very presence of God. And as you are walking, every time you praise God for something that's painful, every time you come to an altar of sacrifice and praise Him in the pain, you take a step closer to God. You're taking a step closer to God every time you praise Him sacrificially. God, I'm just going to take a step. It becomes an altar in your life. God, I lay down my pain. I lay down my discouragement. I lay down my fear, my burdens. God, I put it down there and I choose to praise you in this. You find yourself walking closer and closer to God. More and more into His presence. Sacrifice somehow, some way, leads us into the very presence of God. I'm telling you, you've never been more home than you will be in the presence of God. We're going to sing. We're going to invite the band up. We're going to sing one more song. And, uh, and as we do, I'm going to invite Sean. You can come forward. We're going to get ready to close the baptism this morning. The song is called Living Hope. It's an opportunity to bring a sacrifice of praise. So whatever you wrote down on that card, if you haven't written something, do it now. If you want to, I encourage you, write down something on that card. It could be just a code word, something that you know, but would you write that down? The lyrics of the song go like this. It says, who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. Ah, the cross is spoken. I am forgiven. The King of Kings calls me His own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope. I'm telling you, when you praise, even in your pain, you claim ground. You get closer to God. You walk in victory. Praise. There's something about praise. The tabernacle lets us know that when you come and offer praise, you usher yourself into the very presence of God. As Pastor Kerry said, when God is there, things happen that cannot happen when He is absent. Invite God in. So we're going to sing, and I, I just invite you, as you sing, lay down whatever that challenging situation is. Like offer a sacrifice of praise to God. And then as we close, 
We're going to celebrate a baptism this morning. Sean is here. He's going to praise God publicly for what God has done in his life. It's going to be awesome. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Thanks for listening to the Life Tree Community Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit us at wearelifetree.com or on Facebook and Instagram at wearelifetree.